0: My parents arrived in North America from Hong Kong and came as students studying in the United States where I was born and then eventually moved to Canada where I grew up. Even though they came from Hong Kong, not very many of... I would say we were pretty simple when it comes to these Chinese traditions that we practice. But one thing that we did as a family when we got married was to do a Chinese wedding tea ceremony. So Julie and I chose to include that as a sign of respecting and honoring our family members, and if you're not familiar with it, it involves uh, the married members of your family. So those who are married in the extended family would come and sit down on these seats of honor, and we as a new couple would come up to them, uh, bow before them, and serve them cups of tea as a sign of respect and reverence and inviting their blessing on us. And often the blessing would be uh, tangibly given through the giving of a red pocket. If you're not familiar with that, then it's a little pocket often given with some cash or a check enclosed. So most of our family members would just give a small token, uh, you know, gift, and so we weren't expecting much. It was more the sign of inviting blessing that was more important to us and honoring the tradition that our family comes from. And when it came to my mom, though, uh, she, We, we did the, the whole procedure, and then she gave us an envelope, and we opened it up, and inside was no cash, just a note saying, there's no, nothing, not, no cash in here, but every, whatever you need, you can have. My mom's character of generosity and love poured through that simple note. We're in the middle of the God Story, Our Story series that we've been walking through for the past couple of weeks. And if you missed it, you can hop onto our website and, and catch up on those there. In this series, we want to take a look at how God has been revealing his character and how he's writing his story through all of Scripture from the very beginning all the way to the very end. And it all points to this person named Jesus. And he invites us to participate in this story. We don't just get to watch it or read it but we get to be involved in it as we get to know Jesus as well. So in today's message, we're going to look at another set of promises made that we just heard Kurt read from Scripture. Promises of greatness, promises of blessing and provision. Through these promises that were made to one man and his family thousands of years ago, we begin to see how these promises remain unbroken and affect us today. We're going to walk through these texts looking at the nature of the promises made by the Lord God to Abram. Or we'll continue using in the rest of the sermon, Abraham, which God later changed his name to, and the name that we most know him by. We see a God who doesn't make empty promises. Not only to the family of Abraham that we look at today, but God's promises are seen throughout the story on God's chosen people, Israel. And it runs all the way through to each one of us today. And through these promises, we begin to see a God who makes good promises. We see a God who makes good on his promises. And we see how we can respond to these promises that God made to Abraham and are available to each one of us. You know, the world we live in measures greatness and success in terms of wealth or recognition or accolades. It wasn't too different in Abraham's time. Wealth and servants and land were signs of security and abundance. When Abraham left his home in, homeland in Ur, that's down near the bottom right here, he in southern Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, he heads up to Haran in northern Mesopotamia where we see God give these words to Abraham. He comes from a place of clear wealth and comfort. Ur down here is part of ancient Sumeria, which historians have said is one of the most advanced ancient civilizations. He and his family had people that they had acquired, we heard in verse 5. In Genesis 14, we're told that he was wealthy enough to acquire 318 trained men to be part of his entourage. His family was clearly established. The living God comes to Abraham and directs him to leave this place of comfort to a new land, Canaan, which is down here to the left, promising a nation, promising a land full of overflowing abundance. And as Abraham goes, he takes his family and his servants and livestock with him. God says, I will bless you and make you into a great nation. I will make your name great, I will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Despite Abraham's success, God still promises all these things abundance, greatness, blessing, and everyone in the whole world is going to be blessed through him. Those are huge promises. When we listen to promises made by our friends, by a salesperson, or by a politician, we often measure their trustworthiness based on their character or based on their past interactions with you. On the flip side, what you see now more on, on the ads uh, for political parties, their media strategy is not to present a better platform all the time, but to attack the character of their political opponent. They attempt to discredit them by listing the broken promises of their opponents or digging up old dirt on them. But in this case, God's promises are good because God's nature is good. Now, there are some streams of Christianity that might read this kind of text as God's promise of physical prosperity for all of God's people, as if material blessing is the sign of God's promises fulfilled. And the way to getting this blessing is to do exactly what God tells you. But as you read, as you look at Abraham's experience, he did experience increased material abundance. But as you read further in this story, that doesn't seem to be the main point of God's promise to him. The kind of greatness and blessing that God intended for Abraham seemed to be different than what already he had. The living God promises Abraham land, but when he arrives in Canaan, he finds that it's occupied by other peoples, and it's in famine. The living God promises Abraham many descendants— but it isn't until 25 years later that he receives Isaac, his son, born to him and his wife, Sarah. They're senior citizens by this time. How's this going to happen? What kind of good promise is this? If I were in Abraham's shoes, I'd be thinking, I left my home for this. Your promises, God, seem a lot better on paper, they sound a lot better than they are in reality. Know what I'm talking about? Julia's parents currently serve as missionaries in China. But their journey to where they are now did not unfold as they had imagined. They first felt called to missions in 1985. No, this is a picture of them? Okay, yeah. They first felt called to missions in 1985. But soon after that, their family of four be- soon became a family of six with two more kids on the way. They felt that God's promise to use them in the mission field was delayed to raise a family while Julia's dad continued to build a successful career as an engineer. In 1996, so 11 years later, they started applying to missions organizations. Julia's parents were willing to take a step into God's promise, picking up and moving a house with the two younger children and leaving the two older ones, Julia and her her brother, in in their home To go to university but all of their applications were rejected citing that her dad didn't have any theological training so after many years of this they made a plan they said okay well if we can't go to mission field at least we'll move with the two younger ones to another city so we can attend seminary but just prior to going a missions organization responded to them say well tell you what how about we send you on some short-term missions. And that eventually led to full-time missions work after we had gotten married. But it wasn't until recent years that they've settled into their groove in their work overseas, ministering to families and couples, counseling them in China. Their path from hearing God's call and promise to becoming a reality took more than 30 years what seemed like a broken promise of god for julia's parents turned out just to be really unexpected can you identify with those that sense of promises that seem a long way off promises that seem to be broken god's good promises don't get broken though his promises just often come to us in ways that are unexpected God's promises are good promises because ultimately God's character is good. And when we doubt God's promises, we in fact doubt God's character. We look to our present circumstances and see them as, you know, this is good enough, God. We doubt God's promises are going to be better. We're afraid to step away from our present comfort to a future blessing because we doubt God. We see what we already have, and think, yeah, you know, this is what I know, God. It's not perfect, but it's work for us. What could be better than this? Really, God? Your promises? They're going to be better? But if we do, if we think like that, we miss out on the opportunity that God has for us, and we miss out on the opportunity for us to be used to bless those around us, for our stories to make him the hero. God's promise to Abraham can become a reminder to us that God's promises are good and he intends to bless his children. They're unexpected, but they're also unbroken. And there's something amazing about God's character because even if we fail to respond perfectly, he's good enough to still come through on his promises because he is good. In my childhood, trading goods and toys seemed to be a common occurrence. Here's a couple of hockey cards that I actually had in my collection. That's an Iserman rookie card, and I think that's Gretzky's second year card, but I've played with them in damage them so they're not worth anything. I would trade my hockey cards and Hot Wheels cars with my friends. Sometimes it would be temporary trades. But, and if we were ever skeptical about the fairness of the trade, this is what we'd often say. Maybe you'd say it too. It's like, I promise. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. We tried to make good on our promises by claiming that we would be willing to die for it, inflicting severe pain upon ourselves to the point that we would blind ourselves after we died. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? To make good on a promise, we'd be willing to go to great lengths to inflict suffering upon ourselves. Well, at least we'd say we'd do that. You know, we find that God makes good on his promises in not-so-different ways? This call and promise to Abraham comes on the heels of Genesis 11, where some people get together and they begin tweeting about their plans to build the biggest tower in the land and how it's going to be great. It's going to be huge. And it's going to be so great that we're going to have other towers around the world and we'll plaster our names in gold around them. Sounds familiar, but I don't know Right from where? The Lord comes along and disrupts this effort of great name making because He has another plan and another measurement for greatness and blessing. And this plan for greatness and blessing for the whole world was going to come through this one man and His family. We learn something further about the promises that God makes. Because of who He is, He doesn't just make good promises. He makes good on his promises. He makes good on them because of his nature. He can't stop making good on his promises. He doesn't make good on his promises because of the merit of the other party or their ability to make good on their end of the bargain. Yes, Abraham is wealthy. He's comfortable. He's probably very smart and accomplished when God calls him. But that's not why God chooses him. God doesn't choose Abraham because he comes from the right lineage or because he went to the right college or because he lives in the right zip code or has the right skin color. God simply chooses one man and his family because God is God. God has a promise to keep, and it just so happens that God zeroes in on Abraham. Abraham, at the time we're told, is an idol worshiper. And God makes Abraham a promise with unbelievably far-reaching implications. God makes good on his promises because the kind of promises he makes are a special kind of promise. It's not just a backyard deal like me and my hockey cards with my friends. It's not even a contract that you draft up between companies and parties. It's a life-and-death commitment to fulfill that promise known as a covenant promising an heir from Abraham's own blood. In present day, a marriage is probably the closest thing to the sense of a covenant. A life and death commitment to your partner to fulfill your promises to one another till death parts you. God makes this covenant with Abraham as a sign of his commitment to make Abraham a great nation through his son, Isaac. But then, partway through the story, God does something unexpected. Isaac comes along. He grows into a teenager, and God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God seems to fulfill the promise, and then asks Abraham to go completely against it. Through Abraham, though Abraham, uh, through Abraham, uh, th- uh, through Ab- though Abraham doesn't understand why God would ask him to kill his son, Abraham, builds an altar, puts his son, Isaac, on it, his only son, raises his hand with a knife, and is about to plunge it into his son, and God intervenes and provides another way out. None of this makes sense, but Abraham demonstrates beyond a shadow of a doubt that he trusts God, even when it looks completely insane. In Abraham's life, we see that God's promises are good, and he makes good on his promises in a most unexpected way. Compare the way God makes his promises with the songs we hear on the radio. If you're a country fan, Sturgill Simpson has a song called The Promise, where he says, I'm sorry, but I'm just thinking of the right words to say. I know they don't sound the way I planned them to be, but if you wait around a while, I'll make you fall for me. I promise. I promise you I will sounds full of confidence. Or if uh, you're a 90s R&B fan like me, all for one says, I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky, I'll be there. I swear like a shadow that's by your side, I'll be there. If we really listen to these promises, they sound really nice sung to a melody, but what grounds are they made upon? I swear by the moon and the stars in the sky, what do I have to do with them? Do I own them? I can't give them over to you. I swear, like a shadow that's by your side, that actually sounds pretty creepy (laughs) and stalkerish. But when God makes a promise, he makes good on his promises, not because of your ability to meet your end of the bargain or how sweet it sounds or how beautiful it sounds. He fills his promises because of his faithfulness to his word. He's the one who's created the moon and the sun and the stars. He's the one who's omnipresent, who will always be at our side. If anyone's going to come through on his promises, the creator of the universe has got it, hands down. So how do we respond to God's promises? In Genesis 15:6, we heard Abraham left the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Just remember Abraham, who he is at this time. He's an idol worshiper. In fact, Jewish tradition names his family trade to be idol makers. People would come to his family, his dad's shop in in Ur, and they would buy idols to pray to. So Abraham does not know this living God the way many of us do here in this room. Yet God calls Abraham to be in right standing with himself because of his faith. In Genesis 15, Abraham looks to the stars as God instructs him, away from himself. And that's reversing Adam and Eve's fall that we heard last week. Instead of looking to himself, he looks to God and trusts God to keep his word. When God first declares his promises, asking Abraham to leave his homeland, Abraham trusts, and he goes. Later on, when God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham surely doesn't understand, but he trusts and proceeds until God intervenes. Because of Abraham's trust, God declares Abraham righteous to stand before him. Righteous is just another word for right standing. You're in good relationship. Though Abraham will sin, he has been forgiven for his sins past, present, and future through the mercy and action of God alone. Right standing with God is an act of God that is full of promise. God counts Abraham righteous, not because of merit, not because of his religious observance, or because of his social impact or of his leadership abilities, but simply because of his trust. This trust is what qualifies Abraham to be a friend of God and the father to the family of God's people, an entire nation. And this trust is what releases blessing to the whole world. God chooses one man, one family, and one people group to bless. So how do we get in on these blessings? As far as I know, I think most of us don't have Jewish blood in our family tree. How do we benefit from this blessing of Abraham? In Galatians 3, as we heard earlier, Paul writes and summarizes in his letter to the Galatian church. He says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise promise of the Holy Spirit. By faith, that's trust, we might receive the promise. The ultimate blessing upon Abraham that multiplies blessings upon all nations is not Isaac or Israel, but it's Christ Jesus. In Jesus, we see the good promise of God made good by God himself. Though we are not descendants of Israel and of Abraham, God's blessing upon them is made available to all through Christ Jesus and as Abraham responded so can we. simple trust taking him at his word in Christ we receive the forgiveness of God for our sin in Christ we receive the gift of God's full presence in our lives and in Christ, we come into true friendship with God. So how are you going to respond today? Maybe some of us here have not considered friendship with God as something to be practiced in your life. and Maybe this is the first step of trust, is to respond to this message of Jesus' forgiveness and this offering of relationship, saying, God, I don't want to trust myself. I can trust you. I want to receive the full life that you have promised to me, and this promise that my heart longs for that I've never understood until I see you, Jesus. And for those, there's some of us here, God's promises, you believe them, but they seem really far off. Or you're carrying the burden of what seem to be broken promises what seems to be promises that are yet to be fulfilled. God is here. And he invites you to trust him with that situation. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your children, a loved one. Maybe it's the shame that you carry, those memories of, your own promises that you've broken. And you said that, I can't live up to them. They will always follow me. But God says, they don't have to because I'm good. I forgive you. I will set you free. I will heal your brokenness. Will you trust him? Let's pray. I'm going to invite you to do something. In your hand i want you to put your hands if you're comfortable in front of you and imagine a promise of god that you feel has not been fulfilled the way you have expected it in the timing that you have expected it and i want you to i want to invite you to just respond to god saying i want to trust you lord Help me to trust you with this. It's really hard. It hurts. But I want to trust you as Abraham did, even when it doesn't I don't understand it. And as you hold this promise before your hands, I want you to invite you to open it and lift it up to God, saying, "As you have laid down your life for me." as you have emptied yourself for me, I want to release and trust you with the promises I've made or the promises that I've received from you and walk in freedom and walk in confidence and walk in humility as a friend of God. Jesus, we thank you that we can't do this on our own strength. But you do it for us on the cross. You take our brokenness. You take our disappointments. You take our shame. You take our lack of faith and you give it to us. And so, your promise to Abraham to bless, to be a blessing, to be great. We want to live our lives fully receiving that and fully sharing that as we trust you. In Jesus' name.